Well, there we go. Uh, man, we just keep finding these really, really uh, surprising bump videos. Like a couple weeks ago when I first heard that, I was like, man, we got another lullaby thing going. And there's like a nice Jersey bass drop right in the middle of it. Totally unexpected. So I, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, you'll never find me at the club dancing that. I can't dance worth a lick. But I appreciate the Jersey sentiment. So, um, yeah, this passage, as we, as we jump in, you know, I love what Pastor Scott had to say last week um, in talking about the cursus honorum and how Rome was just pushing on its citizens this way of living. And Paul here is just trying to tell this church, hey, it's a totally upside down thing, Jesus' ways. And it's clear from the first few verses and then even from this morning's passage that Paul loves this church. I mean, we're not supposed to have favorites in, in full-time ministry, um, but it's pretty hard not to. And I almost wonder if this is Paul's favorite church. He loves this church. And I think even this morning, uh, I knew about Pastor Scott's mom that she was not doing well, but even just to hear the news this morning as she nears the end of her life, this, this passage, this book even, just takes on a, a, a deeper weight, I think, because I, I know that Pastor Scott loves this church, and I can almost hear these words from him to us this morning as he's, not, as he's not here physically, just this deep love that Paul had for the Philippians and that I know Pastor Scott has for us. So let's dive in. To, uh, to this passage here. Verse 6, uh, I love what he says. I'm sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Now, it was good, and we could see that it was good, but I, I do wonder if, as they're sitting there reading this letter, if the Philippian jailer was like, ah, I don't know if this started out too good. Like, my jail fell apart, and I thought I was about to die. I was ready to take my own life. Like, I don't know if I would call that good, right? The good work that was started, and yet look at what God brought from that, this, this church. Even even as we looked at in Acts 16, some of the things that went on before Paul ended up in prison, right? This, the, the girl that was doing all kinds of divination and making money for all these people in the city, right? And then Paul, she comes to faith and, and Paul gets thrown in jail, like a good work. I don't know how good that is. And yet on the back end, Paul can call this good. It reminds me of, um, it reminds me of Genesis 50 verse 20 where Joseph, after having been sold in slavery, after having been uh, thrown into prison, falsely accused, after having been forgotten about, then he is put in charge, second in command in Egypt, the most powerful uh, nation in the world, right? And that's not just a, a cool comeback story. That's not even really the point. The point is what he says here. He's talking to his brothers who sold him into slavery and says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. It wasn't just this cool uh, comeback story that would make a good movie. It was about the saving of many lives. And Joseph was able to say, hey, that's good. That's good. Paul is, I think, saying the same things. Hey, this started out kind of crazy. There was some wild stuff going on. We got thrown in jail. Then we got, we got freed from jail, but the jailer, this and that. Now he can see, looking back, that it's good. Even just this morning, uh, Allison and I, as, as our kids slept in uh, with the time change, uh, we, were, we were up early but we were just kind of talking about some of the crazy things that we might call bad when it happens that now we can look back and say, it really is good. Look at what God did. Look at the good work that he brought from that. I mean, we have countless examples, and, and I, I trust and pray that you do as well. We could even just take the rest of the time to sit and tell those stories and be reminded and have our, our faith encouraged and boosted. Sometimes we need to do that. We need to sit around and tell the stories of the crazy things that we would call bad that 
then one day, God, we can look back and say, wow, it really was good. Maybe that thing wasn't good, but God used it for good, right? That's what he does. He brings good things out of hard things, and somehow he works it all together for good. That was just an encouragement to me this morning as we were talking about some hard things that we've been going through. So many examples of that. Then in the, the second part of that, verse 6 says he began a good work, will bring it to completion, completion. Um, this idea, this word, uh, where it comes from, I, I believe we see it a lot in James, which we did, I don't even know how many years ago now, a number of years ago, we, we did a series in James. Um, if that was pre-COVID, then it feels like 20 years ago, right? Uh, but this idea of just bringing things to perfection, to maturity, not perfect in the sense that they never go wrong, but in, in, in the sense of maturity, that God's going to bring it to where it needs to get to. Ultimately, one day, when we all stand before before the throne of God in heaven, worshiping together, all things will be brought to completion. But I think along the way, there are, there are many completions along the way. I love how, um, yeah, I just love this thought of God finishing what he starts, right? Back in college, um, there, were, there were, I feel like this is just a, a classic college thing of, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I got this great idea for a project or a thesis, or maybe it's like a side business that some college student comes with, and I'm gonna do this. And then like a month later, it's just, there's nothing. Because for whatever reason, it just, we have these ideas that get started and then they totally flop or procrastinate, right? Now, I know no college students here have procrastinated, right? Y'all have friends maybe that procrastinate and wait on stuff, right? I have friends that procrastinated. Never, ever did I wait till the last minute to start that 15-page paper for Social Foundations of Education the night before. That, that no, definitely didn't do that. In fact, I only pulled one all-nighter in college um, and it was over, it was actually the night before Thanksgiving. Uh, Alice and I got married. I was still in school. I had a year left. And it was our first Thanksgiving as a, as a married couple. We'd been married for almost a year. But I had a huge project uh, that I was working on that wasn't due on Thanksgiving. But I knew once we got to Thanksgiving, like the rest of the weekend was shot. So yeah, the night before Thanksgiving, I pulled an all-nighter to try to wrap this thing up. And uh, she was not too thrilled about me falling asleep on the couch at her mom's the next day. Or you're trying to hang on to, uh, to Thanksgiving and get through it with family time. Um, I did bring that project to completion, finally, eventually, at the 11th hour. Uh, but I love what Pastor Tony Evans says about God and how he brings things to completion. He says in his commentary, people often start projects with great enthusiasm. However, when their zeal fades, the work fizzles out. But God is not like us. He never undertakes anything that he doesn't finish. When he begins a good work in a believer's heart, it is as good as done. I love that. Praise God that he is not an all-nighter, that he is not a wait to the last minute, that he doesn't start something and then not finish it, that he brings things to completion, both in our, in our lives individually as well as as a corporate body, as well as as a global body. He will bring things to completion. He'll bring things to completion here in this church. He'll bring it to completion in your life. We just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other, keep hanging on. I love that idea. I'm so thankful for that, that promise here. Verse 7, so then as I was continuing to work through this, again, we see Paul's joy here. We see his love for this church. It's right for me to feel this way about you. He's overflowing with love. He says, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And Paul is writing this from prison, so I think he means currently right now, as I'm writing in my imprisonment right now, but also when I first, when this church first started, I was in prison. And so again, there's just, I just have to believe that Paul's playing a little bit of favorites here with how he feels about this church. 
But I love this thought about partakers with me of grace. As I was just sitting, um, and I, and yeah, and because I don't preach here every week like Pastor Scott, I have the luxury to spend lots of time in the passage, right? I don't envy Pastor Scott doing it every week after week. So I've sat with this passage for a while, and I don't know, probably a month ago, as I was looking at this one of the first times, this really jumped out at me, partakers with me of grace. And the Lord just started to bring to mind all these people that I would list out as having been partakers with me of grace in my life. People way back in high school, when I first really started walking with God and started learning how to study scripture and have a relationship with God that was more than just showing up on a Sunday morning to church or going to, uh, going to the chapel at my Christian school, saying a prayer before a meal. Not that those things are bad, but when it really became personal, Jake and Kyle, these two guys that were in college at the time, they taught me how to read God's word. They taught me how to, to live out wisdom in real life. Those guys are invaluable in my life. They are partakers with me of grace. As I think about other people that have been partakers with our whole family, John and Missy Mauer are another, people that come, another couple that comes to mind. Some of you might know them. They used to be a part of this church. He was an elder here. Uh, they were on staff with Athletes in Action, which is a ministry that Allison and I work for. We were here with them for five years. They are Uncle John and Aunt Missy to our kids. And recently, one of our, one of our kiddos was asking, like, why do we call them Aunt and Uncle? Like, they're not our family. And we're like, well, there's a couple of people in our lives that they, they basically are family. That's why we call them that. And Uncle John and Aunt Missy are two of those people. They're just like family because they've poured into us. They've invested in us. They loved us. They shepherded us through some hard things. They shepherded us through moving to New Jersey. It's hard, hard enough right there. They shepherded us through having our couple of kids, buying our first home, getting plugged into ministry, making all kinds of mistakes. They are partakers with us of grace. And it wasn't until, and I love our, our current Athletes in Action team and all the interns that have come and staff that have come under me, but in, in kind of taking a leadership role and having other younger staff come under me, I realized, gosh, they gave us a lot of grace because, man, sometimes, sometimes these people, uh, when they're first year, like they just don't know what they're doing. They need, a not, they need a lot of grace. Well, Allison and I needed a ton of grace from Uncle John and Aunt Missy back in the day because we had no idea what we were doing. And yet they, they stuck with us. They poured into us. They invested in us. Uh, Reggie Green, who's a current staff member of mine, one of my best friends. We get to work together and do ministry together and tell athletes about Jesus and help them grow. He is a partaker with me of grace, and I'm so thankful for him. The chance to have invested in his life, he pours into my life, and we get to do this thing together. I could go on and on and on about many others that have been partakers, those that have invested in me and those that I've gotten to pour into over many, many years. And even that was such, a, was such a fun exercise to think back through. In fact, just last week, Alice and I were back in Florida uh, for the weekend, and uh, we got to hang out with the Athletes in Action staff couple that discipled us when we were in college 10, 12 years ago. And we don't get to see them very often. We text kind of every now and then, um, but we got to hang out with them for a couple hours one night last weekend, and it was like no time had passed. It was an absolute blast, just catching up, sharing about how things are going here at Rutgers, remembering all the times, all the meals we had in their house, all the fights we saw them get into as a married couple, which was hugely helpful for us, watching their kids grow up, babysitting their kids, who were my kids' age at the time when I met them. They were like, my kids are five and seven. They were probably three and six when I met them. One of them's a freshman in college now, and the other one's a sophomore in high school. And here I am with their youngest daughter, just having a full-blown conversation 
about math and calculus and all kinds of stuff, which I was a math education major, so I was loving it, right? But then she started throwing out some stuff that I was like, ah, it's a little rusty. Yeah, let's, let's stick with some of the easier stuff that I remember. But it was wild. It was this really surreal thing. Like, I remember, I remember when, you, when you purposefully dropped apples in ketchup when I was trying to feed you dinner one day, and now here you are talking about where you're going to go to college and the things you want to do with your life and how you want to join with God at work in the world. That was such a fun night that was just a reminder of the partakers of grace in our life. So here, here's what I want to do. I want to actually take just a couple minutes and give you time to just think through and make a list of who are the partakers with you of grace in your life. Maybe it's been people that have poured into you. Maybe it's people that you've just gotten to link arms with and you've walked through something really hard with, something really exciting. Maybe it's others that you've had the chance to invest in and offer that grace to, whatever that looks like. I, I made a huge long list. We're not going to take that long, but I want to give you even just three or four minutes to just sit and, and let God bring to mind your list of partakers of grace in your life. If, if there's an opportunity, maybe someone's even in this room and you can get up and go say, hey, thanks for partaking with me of grace. Maybe it's a text that needs to happen. Maybe it's just a phone call later with someone you haven't seen in a long time to catch up, whatever that looks like. But let's just take three or four minutes and sit here and just make a list. Who comes to mind when you think of partakers of grace?
All right. I hope that that was a helpful even just teaser. Uh, come back to that later. Keep thinking through. It's such an encouragement. The times that I've done something like that to just think through, gosh, I, I am standing on so many people's shoulders uh, that have invested and poured into me. Praise God for those that partake of grace with each of us. So I was feeling pretty good as I was kind of studying this passage and thinking about that. It's great. I'm feeling so thankful. This is awesome, Lord. And then I get to the next verse uh, where, again, we see Paul's, Paul's heart for this group. For God is my witness, verse 8, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I was thinking, wow, what yearning in prayer. Like, I don't do that for, like, anyone. And there was just this, yeah, this, like, verse 7 was great. Now verse 8, man, I just don't, I don't yearn, I pray for people, sure, but yearning in prayer, like, rarely do I do that. Maybe every now and then for my family, for my wife and kids, but yearning in prayer, like, and I know Paul doesn't have a whole lot else to do. He's chilling in prison writing letters, but, like, yearning in prayer, I don't do that. I don't do that, and God really convicted me. So as I was looking at this, what does it mean to yearn? There's just this, the word itself, there's just this deep passion that's tied to it, this deep longing. It's not, it's not, it's not begging in the sense of like twisting God's arm or, or trying to, to manipulate him in some type of, of weird way, but there is this deep imploring, pleading, desperation, saying, God, please, as Paul's praying here, please help this church, help them keep going, help them be faithful. They are worth you answering this prayer. Keep going. And I, I think about in Luke chapter 18, the, the uh, parable of the persistent widow. You don't have to turn there. But just this, the story that Jesus tells about this widow who was in desperate need, and she was coming to this unrighteous judge and just kept asking day after day after day for what she needed to the point where finally the, the judge was just so annoyed, so bothered. He was like, okay, fine, you can, just, you can have whatever it is. And sometimes Jesus would tell these parables to compare God to someone and say God is like this. Sometimes he tells these parables and say God is totally otherly different than the person in the story. And God is not like that unrighteous judge who just gets annoyed and finally gives us what he wants. Like if that's how an unrighteous judge dealt with this woman who was persistent and faithful, how much more do we think our good, kind, patient, generous, heavenly father wants to give us what we ask for? And, and I don't, yeah, I don't think there's a like, well, you only get what you ask for when you yearn in prayer. Like, that's the key. There, there is no magic silver bullet to, to prayer. Somehow, God in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty chooses to give us some type of agency to pray. And sometimes he answers our prayers. Sometimes he, he gives us what we want before we even ask, even if we don't ask. Sometimes he says no and doesn't give us what he wants. But some, somehow God works together and moves on behalf of our prayers. And yet, how often do I yearn in prayer? Not, not a whole lot. And so as I was reading this, this verse a couple weeks ago, the Lord was just like, you just need to pause, bro, and spend some time yearning in prayer for people. Right now, again, I don't know what that looks like for you, but same kind of thing. I want to give us a few minutes here. Maybe it's somebody on your list that you just wrote down. Maybe it's another need that comes to mind. Someone in your life, someone in this church, a neighbor, a coworker, whatever it is, a family member. But I want to give us three, four minutes to just sit and quietly just yearn in prayer and trust God to move on, on behalf of our prayers because that's what he has chosen to do in response to when his people pray. So same thing. Let's just take three, four minutes and spend some time yearning in prayer for whoever God lays on your heart.
Praise God for Paul's prayers for his church. That's a fun study in Scripture just to look at all the prayers that Paul prays for so many of these churches that he writes letters to. I'm thankful that, that uh, he gives us his prayer in verses 9 to 11 that he's actually praying for these people. He says, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I love the way that, that uh, Eugene Peterson puts this in the message translation, at least the first part of this. He says, so this is my prayer, that, you'll, that your love will flourish and that you will love, I'm sorry, that you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. That you will not only love much, but love well. Love is hard work. Love takes intentionality. It takes knowledge and discernment. It takes figuring out what actually benefits people and blesses people. We need to actually learn how to truly love someone. Love isn't just like, I, I do something that's sacrificial, but it doesn't really help someone else. That, that wouldn't be helpful. Pure motive, sure, that's a helpful thing. We ought to have right motives. If we're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, to get our pats on the back or whatever, Jesus talked to the Pharisees about that, that you'll have your reward just by what people say. But a pure motive and a helpful outcome, that's love. It's both those things together, not just much, but well. And this story came to mind. As far as I know, it's a true story. Um, I don't know uh, too, lot, too many of the details, which is good, because I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but there was a church out in, in L.A. that had this idea of wanting to go into a south-central L.A. neighborhood uh, where there's a lot of poverty, uh, a lot of power struggles, a lot of grief, and wanted to do something nice for this neighborhood. And so they came up with this idea and said, hey, let, let's build a basketball court, brand new basketball court. We'll fence it in, new hoops, new nets, everything. They probably like basketball. This would be great. Let's do that. And so they raise the money, and they go and build this basketball court. And I don't know, a month, several weeks go by, and they go back to, to kind of check it out, see how it's going, see who's enjoying it. And they can just tell that nobody has stepped foot on the court at all. Nobody's even touched it. Hasn't been used. And they're like, what the heck? We did this thing. I don't know, what, what's going on? And they try to do a little research and figure out that neighborhood is where Venus and Serena Williams grew up. Nobody in that neighborhood wants to play basketball. They all want to play tennis. But this church didn't take enough steps to figure out with knowledge and discernment what would actually be loving for this neighborhood. They just made some assumptions and built the basketball court. That wasn't, it was a great motive, good idea, good intention, but it wasn't actually loving. You get what I'm saying? It didn't help anyone. It didn't serve anyone in the way that those people really wanted to be served. So as we look to, to make sacrificial love, just like Jesus did, amen, it, love is sacrificial, we've also got to use some knowledge and discernment so that we can figure out and approve what is excellent. That word excellent is an excellent word. The original, original language and the words, some of the root words that it's tied to mean to carry or to spread out, to make something more valuable than, which that makes sense, right? If something is more valuable, it's worth spreading, it's worth taking with me to transport, right? What is it that's worth transporting in our day? Well, you know, Amazon and FedEx and whoever else will bring anything and everything to your door. And if you don't like it, you can just send it back. Just take it to the UBS store and they'll send it right back to Amazon for you. And they'll just transport stuff back and forth all over the place, whatever you want. The boxes in my basement that have been there for five years since we moved in and I haven't touched it, 
Those apparently were worth transporting because we just put them on the truck and said, let's go. doesn't matter. Back in, the, back in this day, they didn't have FedEx and Amazon and all that, you know? Maybe they had, maybe they had Gentile Express or the, the Hebrew Sacrificial Postal Service, something like that maybe. You know, we got Amazon here in the West, you know, they, they had Nile over there, right? That was their thing. Some of you will get that in a little bit. But, but back then, right, they only, they only could transport the most valuable of possessions, right? They, they didn't have the opportunity, the luxury to just bring boxes with you when you move. I don't know if they, they moved, but they didn't have that luxury. So only the most excellent things would get transported. Only the things worth spreading would be transported. And Paul is calling this church here to only love in an excellent way. Only love in a way that actually serves and benefits people. Love is worth doing well. Namely, the self-sacrificing love that Jesus displayed. In fact, he said, John 13, 35, that it's by our love for one another that people would know we're his disciples. But Jesus didn't just, he didn't just love and do things that he thought would be nice. Like he did things that actually served us, that actually helped us. Namely, bringing us back into relationship with our creator through his death on the cross. His love actually helped people. And so that's the, that's the idea that Paul's trying to get across here. Using knowledge and discernment, don't love just much, but love well. And that often looks very different than the way of the world, right? Completely opposite from the cursus honorum, Jesus got down and washed his disciples' feet when he told them that they would be known by their love for one another. It's that total upside-down flipping of the way of the world. Not only love well, but love much. And then we get to the end of this passage, right, as we see the call to be pure and blameless, which is just fruit of, of knowing Jesus, of following him. Again, just another sign like our love for one another that we are his. And he, and he writes that we'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And notice that, that this little section that, that we're looking at here today, verse 6, and then right at the end of verse 10, is bookended by mentions of the day of Christ. Uh, twice he, he mentions that here. And the original day that, that the, these readers would have thought of would have been, uh, at least the Jewish readers, the Jewish Christians would have thought of, would have been when God rescued his people out of Egypt. That was where this, this kind of idea first shows up in Scripture, that this is the day that God has rescued his people. Way back in Egypt, when God brought them out of slavery, after centuries of slavery, brought them and freed them on their journey to the promised land, even though they had a couple hiccups along the way. The last day will be like what it says in Philippians 2, 10, and 11, when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That will be the last and final day, capital D, of Jesus. But I think there are also many days, many, like miniature, and many days in between. In between that first day when God first rescued his people and the last day when death will finally be conquered and we will live in freedom forever. There are lots of days in between there. When he first perhaps brought you into relationship with himself and rescued you from your sins. Maybe it's something along the way, a struggle where he's brought freedom, he's brought rescue, he's brought liberation. Those types of days happen between now and then. And our call is just to be faithful, to keep showing up. Like we said a lot during the Hebrews series, 
Pastor Scott said this so many times, faithfulness is just showing up. It's just taking one step and and putting it in front of the other. It's getting back up when we fall down. And as I was thinking about this, um, just this whole passage, in fact, the first time that I sat down with this passage in in kind of preparation for, um, to share with you all, verse 6 and the idea of this completion was was really heavy on my heart. It was just, uh, I'd have to look at the exact date, but it was just a matter of weeks uh, after my father passed away. He passed away from cancer just a couple months ago, rather unexpectedly. And um, it's been really hard. It's been really hard. Um, it's been really hard thinking about my kids and, and just that they only knew him for five and seven years. That's been probably one of the hardest things to get my mind around. Um, but I've learned a lot of things from my dad over the years, many things. And we just had a celebration of life last weekend down in Florida. And I, I'm so thankful for all the memories that were shared from so many people that, that were involved in his life and all different walks of life. Um, he, he was a coach of mine for many years. There were a lot of people that coached me as a kid in youth sports. Um, there were a lot of my old teachers. He worked at my school. Uh, there were a lot of family friends. I really, truly enjoyed it. It was really good. It was really hard, but it was really good. And we did the, the service at this lake, this park that I went to growing up a ton, most, uh, most weekends in the summer from the time I was a little kid. Um, we were, which summer in Florida is a really long time. Uh, we were, it's like March to October, right? So like this, this mess out here, like I'm over it. We would go to the lake and this is what my dad grew up doing and what he could do even, uh, even into his, uh, later years in life. He was a water skier and he could do slalom skiing, which is the picture on the left. And he could also barefoot, which is the picture on the right, which is just wild and foolish and crazy. Um, to, to get on the, because you got to go like 40, 45 miles an hour for your, so you don't sink, right, so that your feet stay up, um, but this is what he did, and he loved doing it, and uh, go to that next picture, the next slide, um, the one on the, should be your left, right, yeah, the one on the left there is me as a kid learning how to ski on this little orange ski board, I was, I don't know how old I was in that picture, uh, five, six, seven, something like that maybe, and the, the middle and then the right picture are our kiddos, Peyton and Briley, learning how to ski on that same board just this last summer, um, which was the last time that they got to see my dad. And I'm so thankful that, that they got to do that. I was sitting right on, I mean, that, they're probably uh, six, eight feet from the back of the boat. I was sitting right there holding onto the rope, and I, I turned around at one point and looked and just saw my dad as he was driving the boat and, and looking back at us, and that's just an image that I'll always have because I grew up doing this. Um, go to that next picture real quick. Lest you think I spent my entire career on that little orange ski board. This was also last summer uh, uh, on, a, on a wakeboard, um, which is what, really what I learned to do. That kind of became big when I was a kid, and so I got to do that. And this was the last time my dad pulled me um, in the boat, last time I got to wakeboard behind a boat that he drove, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, you don't have to keep that one up because I don't want to keep looking at myself. Um, but as I, as I think about God bringing work to completion, I think about my dad and the work that, that Jesus started in his life that for him is now complete as he sits in God's presence. And I think about all the lessons that my dad taught me in the boat. And, and he loved to teach people how to ski. He loved to te- take people out on the boat. 
I don't, countless people told me stories over the last couple months. Kids that I went to, they're not kids anymore, but that I went to middle school and high school with. I went to a, a private Christian school, K through 12. So even when I was a little kid, there were seniors. I thought I was a pretty cool, pretty cool little cat because there were seniors that I knew because they knew my dad and he coached them and I got to hang out with the high school kids and I felt really cool. But he would take them out on the boat. Teachers of mine, he would take them out on the boat and teach them how to ski, teach them how to wakeboard, teach them how to do all this stuff. He loved to do that. And yet there was a step of faith that every single one of those people had to take. Even though I grew up doing that, like my feet are much more comfortable on solid ground, let alone these people that had never stepped foot in a ski boat like that before. And so they would show up at the dock and my dad would invite them in and they would show up at the dock and they'd have to take a step of faith and get in the boat. And it was really uncomfortable for some of those people because they just didn't know what they were doing. Even other people that were used to it. I remember a, a, a guy that was a surfer trying to figure out how to wakeboard behind a boat, it's totally different. It's a completely different set of muscles that are being used. And yet he took a step of faith and he got in the boat and we'd go out in the lake and at, at some point we'd stop and we'd get to a calm place and my dad would say, okay, here's what's gonna happen. Here's what we're gonna do. This is what it's gonna feel like. You're gonna put your feet here. When you're ready, you give me the thumbs up. We're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. And he would, he would just give them everything they needed to know. Not too much, but he would give them everything they needed to know. And then it'd be time for the next step of faith. All right, let's get out. Let's get out in the water. And so many times that was me getting out in the water, whether I was going to try something new or, or whatever it might be. And then it was time to go. We'd get up and get going. And it was a blast. And all kinds of communication back and forth from me out on the water, whoever it was, to my dad driving the boat, all these different hand signals and stuff like that. And, uh, and inevitably, I would fall at some point. Every run behind a boat actually ends up in a fall, even if it's successful, unless you ski yourself back up onto the shore or something. Every, everyone ends in a fall, right? And, you know, most of the time, my dad would come back and get me. There were a couple times where he was just like, ah, good luck, see you at lunch. No, right, he never did that, because no, not even probably a terrible boat driver, no boat driver would just leave someone in the water and just say, hey, good luck. What would he do? Oh, he'd come back, and he would pick me up and say, hey, here's what happened. Why don't you try this? Just gently correcting. You want to give it another go? Yeah, let's do it. Let's get back out there. Let's keep going again. And then every now and then, we'd have somebody else with me. I had some friends that lived on this lake, and, uh, and we'd get to ski together and do some stuff. Or one of them had a really big raft uh, uh, inner tube that we'd get to go on as a doubles thing. And my, da my dad's thing was to try to knock us off of that. And so he'd be driving all crazy and uh, just to try to get us to fall off of that thing going 30, 40 miles an hour behind a boat. And it was a blast. And um, anytime he knocked us off because of a big wave that he made, he was just, he was delighted. Um, as a dad now, I can understand why. <laughs> and uh, so sometimes we'd pick somebody else up or it'd be somebody else's turn to just ski. And I'd get to sit up there and I'd get to, to sit close to my dad and watch someone else go and encourage them. And I'd get a little bit even of a better picture of the joy of, uh, of his joy as the driver watching us learn and figure out this thing that he had done countless times, so many times, things that he had fallen and gotten hurt doing so that hopefully we wouldn't fall quite as much, that we'd get to do it a little bit better and then pass it on to someone else. And eventually he would say, all right, it's time to go. Let's go and let's go get, let's go get lunch. We're taking a break or we're done for the day. And our, our time there would be brought to completion for that day. And I just think about so many parallels between that and the call here in this passage and the call of God on our lives to just be faithful. 
God invites us into his joy, into something that he loves, namely relationship with himself, relationship with other people, to enjoy his creation. And at some point, there's a, there's a first point for all of us where we've got to step off the dock and get in the boat and say, okay, I don't really know what I'm doing here. This isn't really comfortable for me. I'd rather stay back over here with something that I'm used to. But he says, no, let's get in the boat. Let's go. And he'll drive us around for a little bit. And then he'll stop and say, okay, here's the next part. Here's what's going to happen. And he doesn't give us more than we need to know. He gives us what we need to know right then and there for that moment. He says, all right, you ready to go? Let's get out in the water. Let's give it a shot. And we go. And it's a lot of fun. And then we catch a lip on the ski and face first down in the water. And he just drives away and leaves us there. No, he comes back like any good boat driver, and he picks us up and says, hey, let's go for it again. Maybe try this next time. Here's what you could do. And we go again. And every single run ends in a fall. And God doesn't get frustrated. He's not impatient because it's not about the performance, just like it was with my dad. It was never about the performance. It was just about sharing in the joy that he had. And God says, let's do it again. Let's keep going on the water. And eventually it'll be time for us to take a break. Somebody else can go that we can encourage, that we can say, you give this a shot. You try it. Here, maybe do this. And then we get to sit next to the driver and catch a little bit of a better picture of the joy on his face as he watches another one of his kiddos go for it. Maybe even one day we'll get to sit on the back of the boat with spiritual children of our own and get to help them do the very thing that we learned one day from the driver, just like I got to do with my dad. And we'll get to just do that for a long, long time. And eventually, the driver will say, hey, it's time to go. That day's here. Let's go back to the dock. And like Hebrews says, there's going to be a whole host of witnesses that'll be there, that'll be cheering us on, that'll be excited, and we'll get to go to those heavenly lakes, and that's where I'll be, at least for part of it, continuing to just enjoy the completed work of the, of the driver, of God the Father, who invites us into his joy and just says, every time you fall, just get back up. I'm going to complete this work. And while we do that, while we have all those days in between and until that work is completed, let's learn to love not just much but well, to trust that boat driver and just keep getting back up. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks. Thanks that uh, the completion of your work is your responsibility. Lord, you're the driver. You're the one in the, in the driver's seat. And uh, you call us to do things, to take action, to work in this world, to get out on the water and take a step of faith, knowing that we are going to fall. Lord, you know that, and, and sometimes I, I know in my own life, God, I just get so bent out of shape because I messed something up and fell, and yet you're, you're God, as I'm sitting there beating myself up, you're already, you're driving the boat back already to pick us up and let us have another run, give it another go. Lord, not concerned about the performance, but just inviting us to share in your joy, Lord, and so I'm so thankful that the work in my dad's life has been completed. I think of pa Pastor Scott's mom. God, as the work there is near completion, God, and we grieve deeply for that. Lord, I long to, to see life eternal happen, and one day we will, Lord, and yet for now, God, that driver's seat in my dad's boat is empty. And for so many of us that have experienced that death, Lord, there is just a gaping hole in our hearts, Lord. And so I pray for Pastor Scott and his family now that you would, God, that you would meet them 
and minister to them through your spirit and through your people. Show us how to love them well. And show us, Lord, how to just keep getting back up, how to get back in the boat and get back on the water every time you call us to, Lord. Tune us into your voice and then give us the courage to go for it. Lord, you won't ever leave us. God, you're never gonna just leave us hanging there in the water when we fall. You're always gonna come back to get us. Lord, and as we do that day after day, we look forward to the day when we'll, we'll take that final ride back to the dock and it will be that day, capital D, of Jesus, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord, God, and we'll be home and your work will truly, finally and fully be complete. God, give us the grace to hang on faithfully day after day until that day. In Jesus' name, amen.